I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for the Jew first, to all who believe, for the Jew first, and also to the Greek. How on earth could we possibly be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, considering from whom it has come and what it accomplishes? Interestingly enough, the book of Acts contains a series of stories regarding conversions that impresses this fact upon us. If you look in the book of Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, you'll find that Luke was transitioning in his story of the early church from talking mainly about the work of Peter and the church at Jerusalem to talking mostly about the work of Paul and the church at Antioch. He was moving from talking mostly about Jewish Christians to talking about Gentile Christians. Such a transition could not be made lightly or just glossed over. And so Luke contains a series of stories in an almost parenthetical section of this book. You'll notice Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. And you continue on for a couple of chapters reading these stories of conversions, and then you get to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. And Luke goes all the way back to that same point, and he says, Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. He's talking about the very same persecution. It's almost this parenthetical section where he starts at one place and he goes on and then he comes right back to it. And his purpose is he goes through these stories of conversion to bring us to the climax in understanding the power of the gospel as it not only went to the Jews who had been God's chosen people for thousands of years, but opened the door to the Gentiles as we also were allowed to come into the body of Christ. God's gospel is indeed powerful. And as you look at these stories, they impress upon us Paul's point in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. In fact, as we read them, we'll find out they mirror this verse. If you turn over to Acts chapter 8, we begin as we look at the Scripture. And we learn about the conversion of the Samaritan sorcerer. In Acts chapter 8, Philip travels down into Samaria after this persecution begins, and he begins to preach the gospel. But of course, as he gets into Samaria, we find out that there was a sorcerer named Simon who had bewitched the people into believing that he was the real power of God. If you look in the book of Acts chapter 8, you find in verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the real power of God. How is Philip going to compete with that? There is no doubt that Philip came into Samaria and performed true miracles. And there's no doubt that those miracles outshone the trickery of Simon. We can read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, "...the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip." hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. But the power of God for salvation that turned these people away from the spurious sorcerer was not the miracles. 
In fact, when he says what turned them away, he does not say because they believed in the miracles. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Where was God's power for salvation? In that glorious gospel. And not only was this gospel powerful enough to turn the Samaritans away from Simon the sorcerer, in fact, we find out that the gospel was powerful enough that it turned Simon himself away from his sorcery. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. What an amazing gospel. God has given to us. It would take one so steeped in paganism, one whose livelihood had come from it, and turn him away from it. What an amazing gospel. And yet, of course, we continue on with the story of Simon, and we realize that Simon brought in some baggage. You see, Simon had lived as a sorcerer. He had made his living off the tricks of the sorcery trade, and he had learned how to do these things by purchasing the tricks from other sorcerers like himself. And so as he came into the body of Christ and he saw these amazing miracles that the Christians were doing, and he saw that the apostles, by laying their hands on these Christians, were passing these gifts along, he decided to try to buy their tricks. You see, he still wanted the notoriety, the personal fame. Verse 18 of Acts 8, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What was it that turned him away from this? Once again, it was the gospel. Because Peter responded to him without apology, explaining the way of the gospel more clearly to him. And he said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. He explained to him, Simon, you're going to perish with your money unless you repent of this wicked, sinful attitude that you've carried with you into the body of Christ. But if you pray to the Lord, He'll forgive you. Peter's only concern was that it looked as though Simon was bound up in iniquity, poisoned by bitterness. He was going to have to purge himself of that, repenting, changing his life. But he could be saved if he would do that. And that's exactly what he did. In fact, turned to Peter himself and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. The gospel is what saved him. What an amazing gospel. If it can save a Samaritan sorcerer, what about us? No wonder Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And here we see it as it was so powerful that it could save this pagan sorcerer. Then we move on to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, having left Samaria, was told by the Holy Spirit to come to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And there he would find somebody to teach. And in fact, he did. He found an Ethiopian 
either a Hellenistic Jew or a proselyte, we don't know which. But here was this Jewish Ethiopian who was very devout. He was the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, and yet he had taken this journey from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to worship in the city where God had placed his name. What a devout man. When Philip finds him, he's reading a scroll. It says, beginning in verse 27, So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, excuse me, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Do you understand what you're reading? Here is a man that's come to Jerusalem and has worshipped his God there, and as he's leaving on his way home, he's still studying the Scriptures. But when Philip asked him, do you understand, he had to respond in verse 31, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the Scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip preached the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to this Ethiopian eunuch. And once again, we see the testimony of God's power in this gospel unto salvation. Because when Philip was done preaching this gospel, the Ethiopian eunuch responded, wanting to obey. And we find in Acts chapter 8 and verse 36 that they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Brethren, we may not recognize it, but this was a loaded question for this eunuch. Because as a eunuch, he had been hindered from a great many things among the Jews. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, the scripture there reads, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Here was one that was devoted to his religion. He had traveled to the city of God in Jerusalem to worship Him, only to find out that there were many things as a Jew that he could not participate in because he was a eunuch. He was hindered from those things. Would he now also be hindered from obeying this gospel that offers forgiveness? that he was reading about in the Jewish text? Would his emasculation keep him from coming into the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. Because you see, as Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And when he asked Philip what was hindering him, Philip had only one question for him. Verse 37 of Acts 8, If you believe with all your heart, you may. 
And the eunuch responded, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he baptized him. Because you see, the gospel is not given for just a group of people. It is not given for those who are white or just for those who are black. It is not given for a particular socioeconomic class. It is not given for a particular gender. And it is not given just for those who are physically whole. It is given for everyone. As Peter says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, In truth I perceive, God shows no partiality. This gospel saves everyone. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're white or black, Asian or Hispanic, male or female, rich or poor, crippled or whole. God's gospel saves you. As long as you believe. That's the only thing that hinders us, whether or not we believe. If we don't, we cannot be saved. But if we do, we will be saved, no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, no matter who our parents are, no matter where we live. If we believe, God's gospel is powerful enough to save even us. And when we continue with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Why do you think he went on his way rejoicing? Because for all of his years as a second class citizen among the kingdom of the Jews, he had finally made it into the kingdom where he was on an equal plane with everyone. He could come into the presence of God and be among the assembly of the saints with everyone. He could enjoy what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our gospel is an amazing gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it places us all with equal footing before God, able to come into His presence with boldness, no matter who we are in the kingdoms of men. But as we continue on in this section in the book of Acts, we learn not only about a Samaritan sorcerer and an Ethiopian eunuch, but also about the priest's persecutor. There was Saul, who in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, said he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. As this gospel was going on with those who were scattered, Saul was continuing to wreak havoc. In fact, he had gone to the high priest, and he had gotten letters giving him authority to hunt these Christians down who had been scattered and bring them back to Jerusalem for judgment. That's how devoted he was. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But as he came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And we know the story, don't we? Jesus revealed himself to Saul. And Saul, having learned on the road to Damascus that he was kicking against his God, 
that he was working against the God he had claimed to be working for. He traveled into Damascus and spent three days blinded in fasting and in prayer. Acts chapter 9 and verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Can you imagine the prayers Paul prayed those three days? Can you imagine how much he apologized for working against his God? Can you imagine how he pled and begged for forgiveness from God? Can you imagine how he asked for another opportunity to serve his God and to serve him properly? Can you imagine how he asked, is there a place for the kingdom in the kingdom for me? Can I be forgiven? Is the gospel really powerful enough to save somebody who had been killing folks who had obeyed it? And God sent Ananias to Saul and explained to him that yes, in fact, it is that powerful. And in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. That's how powerful this gospel is. That even one who had gone so far as to get letters from the priest to kill people like us, his sins could be forgiven. And we learn from the story of Saul that the gospel does not just save us in some spiritual sense, but leave us the same people that we were before we came into it. We can look at Saul and we can see the change that the gospel will produce in our lives as we submit to it. You see, Saul had been one who would go out and seek Christians down, hunting them down, so that he could drag them back to Jerusalem and bring them to judgment. But he became a man who hunted Christians down so that he could be with them and be a part of what they were in fellowship with them in the body of Christ. In Acts 9 and verse 26, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. He wanted to be a part of that family of God. He hunted them down to join with them, to be cleaved to them, to be one of them, and to be one with them. They were afraid of him. But the change was so obvious that when Barnabas brought him before the apostles and said, look at what he's been doing. This is a changed man. They opened the doors of fellowship to him within that Jerusalem church. And he was coming in and out with them in fellowship. That's the power of our gospel. No wonder this man who became the apostle Paul later wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe to the Jew first. He had been saved by this gospel. No wonder he was unashamed. He knew the power. But having said all this, you realize we still haven't actually looked at the greatest power of the gospel. Because as amazing as all of these stories are, a Samaritan sorcerer steeped in paganism and sorcery, an Ethiopian eunuch and the priest persecutor, all of these were still connected to Judaism. 
They were all descendants of Abraham. What about Gentiles? Is the gospel powerful enough to save them? Let me explain to you why this is so important. Because when we ask this question, we're not asking about somebody out there. We're asking about us. Because guess what we are? We're Gentiles. We can't trace our lineage back to Abraham. We need to know, is the gospel powerful enough to save me? Is it powerful enough to save you? We were foreigners from God, without hope in the world. Strangers to the covenants. Could the gospel really save us? In Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, God removed that barrier. In fact, I believe that this series of stories is here to bring us to this great climax of understanding that if the gospel could save a Samaritan sorcerer, an Ethiopian eunuch, and the priest persecutor, it could also save a Caesarean centurion. It could save a Gentile like you and like me. God broke down this barrier of race within the church. But it took some doing. He had to send a vision to Peter. In Acts chapter 10 and verse number 10, it says, Then he, that's Peter, became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. And then men showed up and took Peter and some of the Jewish brethren to Cornelius. And though Peter in Acts 10 and verse 34 was able to say, I see God shows no partiality, those who were with him did not understand until God himself poured the Holy Spirit out on Cornelius and those who were with him in verse 44 of Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard him speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Even though these were convinced... When they got back to Jerusalem, they were called to account by some of the circumcision who condemned them for going and preaching among the Gentiles and baptizing the Gentiles. But when Peter related to them what happened and the visions that he had and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them in chapter 11 and verse 18, those who were with them became silent and they glorified God saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. What a key point in the history of the gospel. Brethren, until this point, we were out in the cold, without hope in the world. But God has granted repentance unto life to us as well. 
No wonder Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Also to the Gentile. We can also be saved. How powerful is that? Paul later wrote in Ephesians, as he talked about the dividing wall that had come down. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he said, For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made both one, that is Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Aren't you glad that we can say that? We're no longer foreigners and strangers. We are now members of the household of God. Saints. Because our gospel is amazing. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to us. But of course we ask, what is this amazing gospel that does this amazing thing? The eunuch was reading it in Acts chapter 8, verse 32 and 33. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Jesus. God the Son, God in the flesh, came to this world and He died for us. He went as a sheep to the slaughter without even opening His mouth, not saying a word in His own defense, not trying to get out of it, not avoiding it, but submitting to the Father. And He died for us. His blood was shed so that we could be cleansed. Washed whiter than snow, whether Jew or Gentile. And this gospel is so amazing that it can save anyone and everyone. Even me, and even you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. All you have to do is follow the example of these stories we've just read. Do what they did. And we can be saved like they were. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Then Simon himself also believed. Verse 37, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart you may. And he answered and said, I believe. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. They believed. Do you believe? 
We find that they confessed. Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This goes along with Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But as we look at these converts, we find out that their conversions were not just ones of mental assent and verbal statements. They were changes of life and submissive obedience. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, what was it that these of the circumcised said? God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. If the Gentiles repent, they do so unto life. We've got to repent. We've got to change if we want to have life. And then we notice, Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, so he, actually we'll back up, and the eunuch asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? He gave the good confession, and so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Acts chapter 9 and verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Acts chapter 10 and verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Have you confessed that? Will you confess it? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If you do those things, the gospel is powerful enough to save you.